0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. It's episode 80 of the podcast, and it is going to be wall-to-wall NHL draft lottery talk. We know the first 16 slots in the NHL draft this year. We are going to talk about it right here on today's show. I got a ton of questions from listeners, and obviously we've got to start at the very, very top of it. Uh, but before we do that, I want to remind you, The Kelly Cup playoffs are underway on Flow Hockey and also the USHL Clark Cup Final will feature the Youngstown Phantoms and the Fargo Force. That begins Friday on Flow Hockey. So the end of the USHL season and we are still in the second round of the ECHL postseason. Really can't wait to bring those games to you. We're gonna have plenty of coverage of that on Flow Hockey. But today's show is all about the NHL draft lottery. Of course, it was held on Monday. The Chicago Blackhawks win the first overall first overall pick, the chance to select Connor Bedard, the immeasurable talent that has been incredible this entire season, and what a gift for Chicago having just moved on from Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and moving right into the Connor Bedard era. Well, I mean, he's the type of player that you have to have an era for. Right now, Chicago is in a situation, and we'll talk about the rest of the teams too, but we'll talk start about Chicago because they're now the ones with the rights to select Bedard. They're in a situation now where their entire franchise essentially has to revolve around one player. Everything they do from here on out has to be to support Connor Bedard. Now, we are saying this all in the hypothetical because, of course, Chicago hasn't officially selected Connor Bedard and we you know they haven't said we are definitely taking Connor Bedard but everybody knows who they're taking because there's a very clear number 1 overall pick this year there've already been instant results for Chicago as well numerous reports stating that their season ticket sales have skyrocketed i think in the hours after the in the hours after they select got the lottery win Two and a half million in revenue right off the hop there. I mean, that just goes to show you the impact of a player of Connor Bedard's caliber on an NHL team. And we've got plenty of questions coming up later that we're going to talk about because there are a lot of questions about, you know, how valuable is this pick? What are what, what the scenarios that, that Chicago can kind of go through here now? They have another first-round draft pick later as well. So there's a lot of big things here. But it all is going to focus on this first overall pick because, you know, Connor Bernard, 71 goals, 143 points this season, record-setting World Junior Championship, production like we haven't seen in many, many years, the best and most hyped prospect since Connor McDavid. That's a franchise-changing player. Now, the Blackhawks did have a couple of franchise-changing players in Taves, And Kane, they were selected in subsequent drafts. Taves, third overall in 06. Kane in uh, 07, getting picked first overall. And that was a pretty, you know, huge coup. Three years later, that team was winning a Stanley Cup. This version of the Blackhawks, it's not going to be that simple. Taves was kind of on the front end of the rebuild or midway through the rebuild. It's kind of hard because you go back and that was the dark ages for Chicago. But Connor Bedard himself is... The guy that is kind of the centerpiece now. Now, the Blackhawks have been rebuilding. They made a lot of trades. They got, you know, shipped out Kirby Dock, Alex DeBrinkett. They got three first-round picks last year. They don't have a ton of help right now. And so Chicago, their focus has to be on continuing to insulate Connor Bedard and doing that by basically finding more players a little bit faster than maybe they thought they were going to have to. There's a couple of ways to go about doing that, but it is going to be the key thing for Kyle Davidson. Because if you have a talent as good as Bedard is, You can't let them go out there alone. You can't let them kind of twist in the wind for the next couple of years while you try to become competitive. Now, I'm not saying the Chicago Blackhawks should be expecting to make the playoffs next year. In fact, they might still be in a lottery range next year because one player alone is not going to change their fortunes. But now they have something to build around. And so what do they do? How do they do that? Well, in my personal opinion, the Blackhawks are going to have to make some key short-term stopgap signings. That is going to mean they're going to have to get Players that are probably veteran status, they're probably going to have to overpay for them. The key is to not overpay on term. If you can overpay on salary because you have all this cap space that has been built up and you have to even get to the cap floor, spend that money on expensive short-term deals for veteran players that are going to be able to help Connor Connor Bedard immediately. And then you've also got other young players that you're trying to get into the roster. Lucas Reichel's got to be on the team next year. So you got to make sure that he's got a good spot and he's in the right position to succeed. Kevin Korczynski might be a couple of w- years away, but these are some of the recent first round draft picks. You know, Frank Nazar and Sam Renzel, who were both first rounders last year, don't have to think about those guys for a couple of years. Let them continue to develop at the college level and get, get to them when they're ready and when you're ready to have them. And now it's all about kind of building up that veteran roster. You still have guys like Seth Jones and. uh, Connor Murphy and and Tyler Johnson and and a number of players in the group that will at least help, but there's a lot more to do. So the Blackhawks are in a very tricky situation here where they have so much to do, but they now have that centerpiece, and having a centerpiece makes it so much easier long-term. So the Chicago Blackhawks, game-changing pick, incredible experience for them and their fans, pretty much nobody else is happy about it. I mean, you know, they've already had a first overall pick that helped bring them three Stanley Cups in the last decade. There are a lot of long-suffering teams there. The Anaheim Ducks have never selected first. The Columbus Blue Jackets were, you know, dropped down in kind of unceremonious fashion because of a, a broadcasting snafu during the draft lottery. So all those teams are probably pretty furious that the Chicago Blackhawks, which is coming out of that dynastic kind of, run where they won three Stanley Cups and now they they move on from the core from that and they move right into the Connor Bedard era it, it is fascinating and it's probably not real pleasing to anybody outside of the city of Chicago um, don't let the White Sox hat fool you I'm not uh, celebrating on behalf of Chicago here it's just more uh, you know I, I I love the Chicago White Sox that's about it so anyway this is a really unique situation for everybody else because we all knew that Connor Bedard was the prize. But there's still really, really good picks here. So your team didn't win the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Let's move on there. Let us, let's talk about everybody that didn't get Connor Bedard. Is it the end of the world? No, it is not. And in fact, if you're the Anaheim Ducks sitting at number two, you are pretty happy about the possibility that is there for you. We all believe that Adam Fantilli is the consensus number two. Not everybody feels that way. So consensus is a bit of a loose term here because there's certainly some chatter that maybe he's not the number, you know, maybe they could go in a different direction. I think based on how Anaheim has typically selected, I have a hard time seeing them just moving past Adam Fantilli. Fantilli is a guy that could be a number one center. He plays with pace. He plays with snarl. He scores a lot. He's got so many tools that you need to win hockey games, not the least of which being that size, speed, and skill quotient. And so he's got all of that. The Anaheim Ducks look really solid in that regard. They also have Trevor Zegers and Mason McTavish kind of down the middle. Does Fantilli allow you to move Zegers to the wing? Do you, you know, How do you structure that? There's a lot of options available to them. But the Anaheim Ducks are sitting pretty. Now they they could go in a different direction. They could decide, hey, maybe Leo Carlson is more of the player that we want—a big guy that you know can be a center or a wing. Doesn't necessarily have the pace of a uh, uh, Fantilli, but you know, like the hockey sense and the hand skills. I think there's a lot to like there. You know, maybe they go in a different direction entirely. Go with Will Smith. Continue to build skill on skill on skill with guys like Troy Terry and Trevor Zegers, and then you add Will Smith, who's one of the most dynamic puck handlers of this draft. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, a little bit of a Harlem Globetrotter situation. So the Anaheim Ducks are in a really good position here because they've already started building a young core. And now they're going to add a player that I think could be the centerpiece of that young core. I mean, Zegras became a star pretty instantaneously. Jamie Drysdale will be back and healthy next year. Mason McTavish is going to be a major impact player. Troy Terry has continued to establish himself as a key offensive performer. So the Ducks are in a really good position. They have to feel good about where they're at at number two. They would have probably felt even better at number one, but number two is not a dire circumstance by any stretch. They're getting a good player here. If there's a team that maybe is feeling a little bit sour coming out of this more than anybody, it's probably the Columbus Blue Jackets. One, because of the the situation where their pick was basically spoiled, that they weren't going to win the lottery before the commercial break. Then we had that... What seemed like a forever commercial break, waiting to see what did that really just happen? Did our ears, did that actually happen where they they announced that Columbus was moving down before that they even turned the card over? And so that created a whole bunch of confusion. But then their fears were confirmed. The card overturns. Columbus picks third. And now they're in a situation where they have a number of options. Now, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I said this, and there's a mock draft that you can check out on Flow Hockey right now, where I kind of go through some of these picks, and I mocked Matt Mitchkov to the Columbus Blue Jackets, which is kind of an interesting situation. So Matt Mitchkov, we'll talk about him later. There are a lot of questions about him, so we'll we'll talk about that in the Q&A, but just why I mocked him to Columbus is I think that they have a veteran group that, that, that they can continue to build around. Johnny Goudreau, Patrick Line, um, Zach Wierenski, you know, they, they have some good leadership in there with Boone Jenner and they have guys that can kind of it, get there. And then they have this young core coming in with David Yurichek, Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, you know, Sillinger and Johnson have got NHL time. Yurichek has a little bit of NHL time, but I think it'll be a full timer next year. There's so much that the Columbus Blue Jackets have going on. So, the question is, and Yarmo Kekalainen seemed to indicate that they were looking at a center. That could be Will Smith. That could be Leo Carlson. Maybe by some magic, Adam Fantilli falls into their lap, and then you just immediately go to the podium. There are all those different things that could potentially happen, but they're in a good position still because as disappointed as Blue Jackets fans are, and I believe me, I get it. You guys have not had a number one center you know, Rick Nash was a, certainly a superstar. Artemi Panarin, a lot of these things short lived or not a lot of success around those players. Um, you know, those that's kind of the frustration. And it's been hard for the Columbus Blue Jackets to continue to build. So they won't have that transcendent piece, potentially. That's why I mocked Mitchkov to them, because I think that he could be a transcendent player, a superstar player. But there's all that risk with the Russian factor, which we'll get into a little bit later. So there's that as well. So you got a chance to land a guy that could be a top center. I'm not 100% convinced that Leo Carlson or Will Smith are a true number one center caliber players in the NHL. It's very difficult to draft a number one center, it's hard to develop them as well. It takes time, it takes a lot of trial and error. And unfortunately, with these, you know, that's not necessarily a luxury that Columbus has. They have a group that feels like they can compete. They've got to address goaltending. They've got to do a few other things. But that center position seems like a real situation there where, that they may want to get into. Um, there's also the, the whole thing of how long does this administration have? You know, Yarmo Kekalainen's been on his job for quite a while. John Davidson is a team president. Yeah, I, I happen to think that it under the circumstances that they've been had to deal with in Columbus, which is not always getting the top players, not always having the, the best ability to to, to attract top-end talent, although they did with Johnny Udrow and then got Patrick Liney in a trade, They, I, I think they've done the best that they could potentially do there, but now they need to get a little bit of luck, and that, that didn't happen for them in the lottery. So you can understand that as well. Some other teams that I just wanted to kind of briefly touch on before we get into our Q and A, because there were a ton of questions and I really like them, and there's a lot to to get into. San Jose Sharks end up at number four. Mike Greer, you know, he he continues to have. Uh, they've had some high picks in the last couple of years. They've gotten the potential. You know, I think with this fourth overall pick, regardless of who they get, he's going to move in and be the best prospect in their system currently. Um, and has an opportunity to be a major impact player, not next year, but maybe in a couple of years, and that helps the Sharks moving forward. At number five, the Montreal Canadiens, and that's another position where I think, hey, you got to start thinking about a lot of different things. They've got a good young core, picked first overall last year, got Uri Slobkovsky. Should they look centered? Should they look for that guy that's going to be behind Nick Suzuki for for all those years, and is there going to be a good enough option there? If Matt Vay-Mitchkov is there, do they go with him? I mean, that's the real question of the first round. Where does Matt mitchkov go? We're going to talk about it for weeks on end here because that's really where we see a lot of the challenges in this whole draft is until that player goes, there's all sorts of different scenarios that could play out in this first round. So uh, the way my mock draft went, Leo Carlson went to the, the Sharks. Will Smith went to the Habs. And then at six... The Arizona Coyotes are there, and that's another team. Certainly certainly would have loved to have that centerpiece star. they got a great center in last year's draft, Logan Kulu, who I think could be one of the best players from last year's draft. What do they do at six? They are in desperate, dire need of building up their defense pool. They just got rid of Jacob Chikrin. I did have them mocked to select David Reinbacher, who I think is the number one defenseman in this draft, a big right-shot defenseman with good offensive capabilities. They have the 12th overall pick as well. They could gamble, go with the forward there, and I, that that very well may be what they do because there's really good forwards still on the table there. You got guys like Zach Benson, Ryan Leonard, um, you know, Gabe Perot, all these different players that they could potentially land there that get that are at a premium, and then see which defenseman is left at twelve. But I still think that this is a team that desperately needs to come away with a top tier defenseman. I don't think there are very many in this draft. And I really like David Reinbacher. So we'll have to see. But you could go with forward. Maybe at 12, you get Axel sandin Pelika, Or maybe you get Tom V. Lander. You know, those are some of the options that could be potentially there at 12. But there are a lot of decisions to be made. So those teams, those six teams that we talked about, that is, there, there are so many options there. You know, you've got at seven, the Flyers. I think that that's a real good landing spot for Ryan Leonard, who's a rough and tumble forward, who can score. Um, you know, at eight, You've got the Detroit Red Wings. You know, there's all there's all sorts of uh there's all sorts of scenarios that can play out or at eight. Sorry, it's the Washington Capitals at eight, and then nine, the the Detroit Red Wings. So, you know, I think that you won't see Matt Vay mitchkov fall any further than eight, I don't think. Um that's where I think the 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 tumble stops, but everything after that gets really interesting. And I did that mock draft, which you can find on fullhockey.tv. Uh you can go. Check it out, read it. It goes to the 16. We'll do another big one here in a couple of weeks. And we'll also have my draft rankings at the end of the month, which you know we've got a lot of time here. There's a lot of things still happening. I'm heading out to the combine in early June, but I want to get those rankings out here in the last week in May. So you can see kind of where I see this draft going. And boy, I got to tell you, this has been a fascinating year. It has been super fun to cover. And I think that the teams that are picking within that first 16, all the teams in the lottery have a chance to land an impact prospect it starts to thin out as we move down the board and it starts to thin out rapidly more rapidly as we go along but there's a lot of very interesting players in a variety of positions that are going to make a big impact in their nhl team so if you have a first round pick this year there's still that potential to land a very good impact prospect And i think there's there's plenty of value into the second round as well going to be interesting to see where all the goalies go. We'll have many more mock drafts and rankings and things like that for you to digest. But that's, you know, basically where we go with our our lottery talk for today, because I, you know, there are so many different areas that we could go. But I mean, I'm still kind of reeling from the shock of seeing Chicago get the first pick and just kind of the uh, the the symmetry of losing their top two guys from the last, you know, dynastic core. And then moving right into a Connor Bedard. I mean, it, it doesn't seem fair, and I'm sure a lot of NHL fans feel it's not fair. But I promise you, I am not one of the conspiracy theorists. I don't think the draft was rigged. I don't think the NHL is is in that mode of rigging the draft. And a few journalists were able to watch the 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 results this year. Uh, both Frank Valley and Aaron Portsline, um, and I believe Steve Wino is in there as well. You know, all of those guys had pieces off of what happened in the room. Um, so put the tinfoil hats down. I understand it's very difficult, but put them down. All right. Well, we're going to move into our Q&A now. Uh, And I got, it's all draft related. And the way that I organize these questions, I try to do it kind of in order of the questions versus the picks that they're talking about. Um, And before I, I, I put up the questions, just want to remind you, if you haven't yet, Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice if you haven't already. Download it. Make sure you never miss an episode. If you prefer to watch the podcast, you can do so on flowhockey.tv or on YouTube. Both are good options. You can catch every episode if you really want to see this beautiful face every time. By all means, go for it. We will have a lot more, and there's just so much to get to as we get closer to the draft. We're also going to be talking a lot more about the postseason throughout junior hockey and the Men's World Championship coming up. So plenty more to come on Talking Hockey Sense. But let's get to your questions. And we are going to start with this question from Video Marv. And Video Marv asks, can you put a price on Bedard? For example, if Montreal asks for Bedard in exchange, gives the Hawks their first two picks for the next five years... Is it worth it? Is there a price that the Hawks couldn't refuse? I think this is a really good time to talk about what the value of a first overall pick is because I don't think there is a price that the Blackhawks would look at and say, yep, that will do it. That will do it. Because I think, just look at what happened in the hour after the draft. The Blackhawks sold tons of season tickets. I'm guessing there are tons of Bedard jerseys already being sold. landing a player like Bedard in the same way that landing a McDavid, a Sidney Crosby, a Patrick Kane, although not, you know, that we didn't know quite how good Patrick Kane was going to be at that time. He didn't have the same level of buzz that Connor Bedard did. In fact, there were people that didn't think Patrick Kane would go first overall that year. But I think specifically guys like McDavid Matthews and, um, and, and Crosby in recent memory and Alex Ovechkin before Crosby as well Those were guys that the hype was so absurd that you just couldn't deny it. And all of those guys worked out. We're doing the same thing with Connor Bedard now, and I have no qualms about his ability. I think he's going to be a special player. I think he's going to make a ton of great headway in terms of, you know, his career. I think he's going to potentially be an award winner. You know, I know there's some people that want to pump the brakes on the hype. And I think that that's a very fair thing to do because he is a 17 year old player. But the way I feel about Connor Bedard is, you know, I've I've watched this this uh, you know watched a lot of prospects over the years. I saw Connor McDavid up close and in person as he was draft eligible uh, years before. Um, and while Connor Bedard is not Connor McDavid, I want to make that very clear. I don't think that he's going to have the career that McDavid is having right now. I think he has the potential to to, you know, to outdo guys like Patrick Kane and Steven Stamkos, who I think are you know have had Hall of Fame careers. So that's so when we're talking about players like that, what kind of value do you place on that? Because it's not just about the on ice product. i mean he's he's already selling tickets for a franchise that was heading in a terrible direction in terms of gate revenue and everything else after selling out year after year after year. And then, you know, he's also got this massive appeal within the NHL market as a whole. So now suddenly Chicago is back to being a premier franchise, one that is on national TV a lot, one that people want to follow. And that's probably, you know, good for the league. The fact that he's in a major media market in the U.S. is not is no small thing for the NHL, especially when McDavid's in Edmonton and Matthews is in Toronto. While that's great for the league in general, it's not necessarily great for the U.S. television audience that doesn't get to see those players as much. Bedard's going to get seen an awful lot. Um so there's a value value there. I think, you know, to to Marv's example of of saying if if they give their first two picks for the next 5 years, the thing is is that they know they have Connor Bedard now. There's no guarantee that there's going to be another Connor Bedard in the next however many drafts. You there's too much of an unknown there. You know you've got Bedard, you expect him to be a superstar. What is that worth to your team? Well, if if I'm the Blackhawks, I'm saying, okay, well, Montreal, you want the first overall pick? It's going to cost you Suzuki, Caulfield, all absurd prices, like stuff that you stuff that you would just say that's that's just absurd. We would decimate our own team. It's, is it worth it for one player? There there might be some teams that would say, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, I don't think that the Edmonton Oilers are going to trade Leon Draisaitl or or Connor McDavid for Connor Bedard. But you know that's that that's that's what we're talking about that kind of of value. So I don't think there's a scenario where the the where the Blackhawks would be in a position. I mean, it, it'd have to be something astronomical for them to go. But I think it's a worthwhile question to ask because it's like, what is the true value of a player like Connor Bedard? Well, for the Blackhawks, honestly, at this point, it might be priceless. All right, let's move on to our next question. More Bedard, and it, this one comes from Snowdad, and he says. Now that we know Bedard is heading to Chicago, who do you think they could focus on for that 19th pick from Tampa? I'm hoping for Nate Danielson or Andrew Crystal fall to that spot. Do you think that is likely? I I don't think there's any chance Nate Danielson is still on the board at 19. There is a chance that Andrew Crystal is there. I don't necessarily know if you've already got Bedard, if it makes a ton of sense to also go and get Crystal He's enough that that would give you two undersized forwards with, you know, and, and Crystal has suspect skating ability. I think he's got a lot of offensive potential. I don't think that's a player that I would be looking at in that range. Um, you know, he could potentially make some sense there, but you know, for, for the Blackhawks, I think if you've already got Connor Bedard, you want to look in other directions. Um, and there's a lot of different options there. I think there are going to be some, some forwards with some size. You're going to have some, some guys that, you know, maybe are, 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 talented wingers you know you've got some some things in the system already you've kind of gone heavy on defense but is there a defense prospect that's still on the board that makes sense you know i, I don't think there's a chance that tom vlander would be there but that'd be a good guy to go go and get or you know is there is is oliver moore still on the board that's one guy that's kind of trending downward in terms of his uh you know his overall draft stock but just you know I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to be there either. So, you know, there. I think the players that you're talking about they'd be very difficult to find there, and especially if you've already got Connor Bedard, you know, you've got a lot of flexibility. You feel like you've already won the draft, but now you want to find the next guy that could be part of that core. And I think you can do that potentially in that range. So, guys like that, not necessarily there. Um, you know, how far does Braden Yeager slip? How far does Colby Barlow? You know, those are guys that could potentially. You know, I I doubt they would be there. Um, but you know, those are those are guys that, you know, once you actually start making picks in the draft, you know, is are it gets a little bit more. Um, you 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 get to see how quickly those things go and how you know doing my own mock draft at which which only stopped at sixteen. I was like looking at guys that weren't on there, and he, and I was like, wow, I how did I do that? You know, how how are they not there? Uh, but there are plenty of good options in that 19 range. So the Blackhawks could have yet another big time prospect. All right, let's move on to the Anaheim Ducks and pick number two. This question comes from Dalton. Is Adam Fantilli a lock at number two? Quack. Thank you for the quack. Quack back to you. Dalton, uh, lock is a strong term. I would say that he's not a lock, but I'd say he is the most likely option For the Ducks at number two. There's been a lot of chatter in recent weeks about, you know, Carlson and Will Smith. Both Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson, by the way, we play in the Men's World Championship, which begins this week in Finland and Latvia. Fantilli for Team Canada and Carlson for Team Sweden. There's, you know, a lot of debate. If if you believe that Leo Carlson is a center at the NHL level when he played wing most of this year, and it sounds like he's going to play center for Sweden, at least he did in the exhibition games, could be playing center for Sweden. You know, you have to decide. There's there's a slight size difference. It's, Carlson's a little bit bigger, but you know Fantilli's still pretty big. Then you've also got you know the the option of Will Smith, who's the dynamic kind of you know great hands, good skill, all those different things, but you know. If if either Fantilli or Carlson has a really strong world championship against NHL players and playing with NHL players, that could speak to a team. Uh, we saw it happen a little bit. Patrick Line, Austin Matthews. There was a bit more debate after the men's world championship. Ultimately, Matthews still went, um, still went first overall. So I think there's going to be a lot of debate. Internally, but I still think that in terms of style, in terms of what he brings, I just think Adam Fantilli is the guy for the Ducks. But I could not tell you at this moment that that is absolutely 100% what they're going to do. So that is what I would need to tell you if it was an actual lock. And since it is not, I won't. All right, moving on to Brian's question as we go back to our friends in the Columbus Blue Jackets. Do the Blue Jackets draft Leo Carlson at number three? And if so, what is his ceiling? How close or not so close is Fantilli or to Fantilli is Carlson? Really good question. And I think it, you know, kind of stems from my last answer, but I think the gap has narrowed us a a bit. There are also people that think the gap between Fantilli and Bedard is more narrow than the gap between Fantilli and everybody else. It really depends on who you ask. As far as I'm concerned, I think that the, the significant difference between Fantilli and Carlson is, I think that that Carlson has a little bit more uh, pure hockey sense and has some dynamic hands, you know, that that I think will help him. Fantilli has a little bit more of a mean streak. He's got more of a power game. He's got um, more speed as well. And so those two things together are, are you, you kind of weigh it out. Now, hockey sense, I usually is what I lean to, but I think that there's not such a gap there that Fantilli couldn't, you know, couldn't manage. Um, I don't think that he's a dumb hockey player. Let's just put it that way. You know, I think he's actually a smart hockey player that, you know, can sometimes get himself into trouble offensively, but it's, I think some of it's more due to confidence as opposed to hockey sense. So that's the the difference. If the blue jackets do select Leo Carlson, which is a distinct possibility, I think they've got a guy who could potentially be a number one center. He's not a lock. I think that his feet are going to need to come a little bit more for him to be a number one center in the NHL. But he's got very dynamic hands. He's got a good vision. He makes smart plays. He's got a power element to him. He's got the size. So I think there's a lot to like there. Is he the answer to the long-term question and, and hole that has been there of a number one center? That's where I have a little bit of a harder time saying specifically yes or specifically no. I think there's a chance that he could be. So that's really where the Blue Jackets and their fans are going to have to look at and say, hey, we still have a chance to get a player that's going to be a building block for our franchise for years and years to come. And could be Leo Carlson, could be Will Smith, could be Matt vay Who knows? If Adam Fantilli is there, then you have that option too. But as far as, fan- as, far as Carlson goes, I don't think the gap is humongous. I think that he's a very good option if that's the way they want to go. So I think there's a lot to like there about Leo Carlson. Um, You know, he plays the game like a man already. He's played two years of professional hockey. uh, And now we're going to get a chance to see him at the men's world championship, which I really can't wait for. All right. We're going to go to our next question. This one is about pick number five, and it comes from Knievel. Who do you think the Habs should pick at number five if Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and Smith are gone? It's a good question, and this is gonna allow me to get into the Matt Vay question, which we have a little bit more. I think if I'm the if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm not, so you know, take this with a grain of salt. If I'm the Montreal Canadiens, I do not hesitate to take Matt Vay I fully understand that there's other options available that, you know, that that are, you know, guys that are centers, good defensemen. But I think at number five, if I'm looking at what I have on my roster now. Um, knowing that there's a young core there, that there's a lot more work to be done, that there really isn't necessarily a, a quick timeline to competitiveness for the, for the Canadians. I still think that I want the transcendent, potentially transformational player that I think Matt mitchkov could be. I think without the Russian situation, without the fears of the contract that he has with, with Ska, St. Petersburg, in the KHL, I think there's a case to be made that he's the second best player in this draft. I think there's a couple of elements of 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 both Fantilli and maybe even Carlson that give them the a little bit more of a, a pop because Mitchkov is a wing, but I think he's such a tremendous goal scorer. You know, Connor Connor Bedard is is the best goal scorer in the draft. Matt Faye Mitchkov's number two. And I don't think it's by a significant gap. Um he just plays in the KHL, he doesn't put up his Gaudian numbers but I think, you know, I've seen him at at various international events up close and personal. This guy knows how to score goals and he will score goals no matter where he's at. You still have three years to wait for his contract to expire in the KHL. And that is probably, you know, tough because if you're, you know, if you're the, um, if you're Kent Hughes and the the front office of the Canadiens, you say, can we wait that long? Most teams are going to be fine, I think, waiting three years for a player. That's standard for some players even players that are picked in the top five but the thing that I would continue to say is if you are Matt mitchkov or if you're a team that's drafting vay Michkov you're gonna get three years of free development three years that you don't have to spend a contract on him while he's at the KHL yes there's definitely nerves and about you know potentially him extending in Russia but that's to me if I'm the Montreal Canadians and all those players that Knievel mentioned are gone, That'd be Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and Smith. I think my highest value play long-term is Maffei-Mitchkoff. All right. Now we move on and this. We've got a 7A and a 7B here. So I'm just going to read them both and then we'll answer them together. Uh, The first one comes from Luke. And Luke asks, what players do you think the Coyotes will target at 6 and 12? And that's a good uh, a good one there. And Gary asks, assuming the top five is Mitchkov, Smith, Carlson, Bedard, and Fantilli, who are the best three players that could go to six? So this helps us kind of go off of our last question and a little bit of a piggyback there. Uh, so all the players that we just mentioned would be gone are now gone in Gary's question. Uh, so let's start here. All right. So the Coyotes are in a very interesting and unique position, given that they are still trying to figure out what their arena situation is going to be like. They have not yet signed Logan Cooley. We I assume that they will sign him. If it's not this year, it'll be next year. But you know, there is a chance that Logan Cooley goes back to the university of Minnesota next year. There's another chance that the Coyotes are right back in the lottery next year. There's, A lot to kind of digest. This is a franchise that is trying its best to get back to where it should be, to be a competitive team. They have some good prospects in the system. They have some guys that they should really like and be excited about. But there is a lot of concern about, you know, like, what is the future of this franchise? That's really not Bill Armstrong's problem. Bill Armstrong's problem is putting the best team on the ice that he can, and that's what he's going to do. And so I think with this number six pick, this is where things get interesting. In my mock draft, I had them selecting David Reinbacher. And then, you know, at 12, which is the pick they got from Ottawa, which was only top 10 protected, so they get Ottawa's pick out of the deal as well. That's when you say, okay, well, there there's still impact forwards remaining on the board. Um, there's still guys that we could potentially move, we, we can have on our team. Um, so, what I think that the best thing to do at, at six is is to look at you know your needs and 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 then also who's the best player available. I'm not in their scout room. I can't tell you who they like the best, but I can say that I think that this is a team that is in dire need of defense. They have a couple of good guys, Artem Duda, uh, Dudas, and also uh, Maverick Lamoureux, who are guys that are going to be presumably NHL players. Um, but can they get a guy like a David Reinbacher who has top pairing upside? I think that's what they have to th- decide. It, can Can we afford to miss out on a defenseman if we pick a forward at six? And I think it's possible that they do that. There are guys like Ryan Leonard, there are, uh, you know, Gabe Perot, Zach Benson, um, Del- Dalibor Dvorsky. I mean, these are players all that could be very good impact players down the line and would make a lot of sense to select. I just wonder how much value you can leave on the table when you know that you've got the number one defenseman available to you because I think he would be potentially. And then what do you and is Reinbacher the best defenseman to them? He might not be. Maybe it's Sandine Pelica, maybe it's uh uh Vlander. maybe it's some up, somebody up, maybe it's uh, one of the Russian defensemen, Guliaev or or Simeshev or somebody like that. So there's a lot of options that they have to to go there. I personally think that you gotta, you know, go with what's available on the board. If if Reinbacher is there, I think it's a good pick at six. Don't know if that's the way they're going to go, but that's a good pick at six. And then at 12, you say, okay, who's here? We have, you know, is Oliver Moore there? Is Nate Danielson there? Is, is Zach Benson still there for some reason? Is Braden Yeager? You know, different players that you feel like you can still get a lot of value on. I just think that's number six pick is so critical. There's also the option of potentially moving the picks, packaging them, trying to trade up. Could you move up a spot? Could you get up into the Will Smith range? That would be a very interesting to find out. You know, would, would the Montreal Canadiens be willing to move a spot down if you gave them something else? You know, I don't know if it would cost you both. You know, I think it'd cost you both picks if you wanted to try to move into the top three. And I don't know if that's even a possibility with the teams that are up there. But it's at least a discussion to be had where you say, hey, we got six and 12. We get this. You know, maybe we get something else. So there's a lot of different options there. All right, we move down to pick number eight. And this question comes from caps for life And the question is, Dvorsky or Moore at eight? This gives us a little chance to talk about Dalibor Dvorsky and Oliver Moore. I think if I'm the Capitals in that scenario, I'm picking Dvorsky. I think we just saw him play at the Under-18 World Championship and have a great tournament. He played extremely well. He was a dominant player. No matter who they played, he was able to contribute against all the big teams He rose his level of play in that tournament and we got to see all the different things that he can do as a, as a center. He's got versatility. He's got goal scoring ability. When he has the confidence, as we saw at the under 18 worlds, he puts it all together in a really nice package and it allows him to be a very, very effective player down the stretch. So I really like uh, what I've seen from Dalibor Dvorsky in the back half of the season and into the, you know, it. It wasn't a great season for him, but I think that his last impression was strong enough to remind us of the player that he can be. Oliver Moore is going to be really interesting. He's the fastest player in the draft. He's a center. You know, he's five foot eleven, but he's sturdy. He's got good strength. The question is, is how much offense is there? Is it enough to say you're a top 10 pick? That's the big question. I think throughout the season, I thought his offense would progress a little bit better. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's so i don't i don't think it's poor at all i think he's in a really good spot if he can produce he can score he's got a good shot you know he makes good plays i just think that his brain and the rest of his body have to catch up to that explosive skating ability that he has but that is a tool that separates him from just about everybody in this draft that skating ability and so it would make a lot of sense there but i think if you gave me the choice between those two players i'd pick Dvorsky. All right. Our next question comes from Pete. And uh, boy, if you are a Detroit Red Wings fan, you have to think that the draft lottery just isn't for you. And that seems to be what Pete thinks. He says, CP, two questions from the suffering Wings fan. How far do you think Mitch Cobb will slide? And two, I know it doesn't happen often, but what do you think the price would be to, to move up from nine to five? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Well, thanks, Pete. Appreciate that. I think moving up to five would be very expensive. Um, you know, that ninth pick for sure is going and then you probably have to have something else, a package of picks or maybe even next year's first or maybe even a roster player of some kind um, to get into that five spot. You you got a team in um, in Montreal that probably feels like they have some good young players. But, you know, that's also a, a tough spot to trade into. And so it, it would cost you quite a bit. And I think that Montreal would be more than likely Hanging on to that pick because they can get a guy that they think will be a major impact prospect within their system. I still think the Wings are going to be able to get a very good player at nine. But to answer your first question, I don't think that player will be Matt Michkov. I think if you're, you know, if you are the the Detroit Red Wings, you'd love the scenario to see a Michkov slide down the board, and then you do have that centerpiece player for the the future of your franchise. Um, you, you know, even more so than Cider and, and Raymond and, and Dylan Larkin um so i think that, that that would be a key factor to have and you've got you know some guys down the middle that you can expend an asset on a wing but i think that it'd be very i think it'd be very difficult for um you know for him to get past the capitals at 8 i think that's probably the lowest that's the lowest that i expect him to go i don't have any real solid intel on that i just think that you know the capitals have been a team that haven't had many top picks and to get a player of that caliber in that range. I just don't see how they could potentially pass it up, especially given the fact they're coming off of, or they're still in the midst of, you know, having the greatest goal scorer ever who just so happens to be Russian. So Mitchkov, I, I think we'll, will get no further than eight. If he does get to nine, start the dance party in Detroit. All right, and then we got another Mitchkov question here, and this one comes from Kevin. Where do you see as the most likely spot for Mitchkov to go? I know that his KHL contract and the situation in Russia at the moment may put it off for some team, may put off some teams. I could see him going anywhere from two to nine, and honestly, I can too. I think that you know, to me, the the most likely place is is Washington. Um, you know, I think that the teams that are in one through seven, as I just bought my mic. Uh, the teams one through seven are um, are, are, you know, they have a bit of a longer timeline. I feel like maybe Columbus doesn't. And that was why I mocked Mitch to them, because I think that they actually have some pieces to, to compete a little bit more quickly than anybody else in the lottery range. Um, But, you know, I think there's so much risk there that, so those teams that have long-term timelines aren't going to want to do that. So I would say that that's, that's to me, I think that, Eight makes a lot of sense. I think the Caps make sense. They've got a veteran team. They do need to start transitioning away from that. Um, they're going to start losing players at some point here from the core that was part of their Stanley Cup. But, you know, I think Mitchkov would be a nice guy to kind of slide in there as, as a potential top prospect, a guy that would by far be their best prospect in their system. All right. So we've got some more general prospect questions that we're going to finish things off with. Um, And then we've got a couple later questions, teams that won't be picking in the first round at the end. So I just want to quickly get to this one uh, from Jake. Jake asks, is Will Smith's rise in draft rankings just based off of his U18 performance? I would say that no, it isn't. Um, I think that he's been trending up throughout the season. He started kind of in the early on the season. I think a lot of people said he's a first rounder, but late first. And then he just started producing and he, and he kept getting better and better. His skating improved. Um, you know, his production was up 127 points this year. First line center, driving play for that line. He actually had the, the higher points per game average between him and Gabe Perot at the end of the season. Um, he just missed a few games. You know, he was in the, in the mix to be on the world junior team. He got sick during the camp he wasn't able to go so then that took him out of the running but I do think that Will Smith has been on a pretty steady upward trajectory where it's gotten interesting since the world under 18s where he had 20 points tying Jack Hughes' American record for points in a single tournament I think there are more people that are saying now he could potentially go into the first into the first three picks he could potentially even go number two I doubt that just because of the Anaheim being there I don't think that's he fits where they're going Um, and and they have a lot of guys that are similar to him already. So I I think that we'll see Will Smith, you know, go very early possibly. I don't think he gets past five in this draft, Um, but that's a guy that could make a a significant impact for whatever team he ends up going to. He's still going to have a couple of years, maybe a year or more at Boston college before he's ready to make that jump into the NHL. But that's a guy that, that has been, on an upward trajectory throughout the year. Thanks for the question. Our next question comes from Half Wall Hockey. And says, do you think v- uh, vlander has been overhyped from his U-18 play? Good question. And I think that the, the, the buzz has absolutely grown because we've been talking about v as a potential first rounder. Now we're talking about him more like a top 15. I don't think it's just his under 18 world championship. I think that was just a way for us to prove that what we're seeing and what we've been seeing this year is, is evident against the top players. He is able to push, you know, push guys around at his age level. He's got good skating ability. He's got tremendous defensive sense. His offense is okay. I think that's the thing that holds him back. Um, But I think that other than that, there's a lot to like about his game. He's got that, just that fluid skating that really you like to see he's got the, you know, the right shot. There's so many things that, that – boxes that he checks. I think he's an intelligent player as well. Um, I think it's more likely than not now that he's going to be one of the first three defensemen picked. Not a guarantee, but I think that that's the way that things have trended. And I don't think it's just based on that under-18 Worlds. I think the under-18 Worlds solidified our view of what he could be as a player. That's a it's a great question though because I think we hear this all the time guys at the end of the season they come on late and all of a sudden there's tons of buzz. That's been the case with Vlander, but I think it was kind of steadily growing within the industry before it ever reached the public. All right, moving on. Our next one comes from AZ Hockey Nut. How many trades are coming and who are the teams looking to move up and or down and why? I think it's going to be really hard to move in this draft. And I think a lot of those trades, if we're going to see them, they're going to come on draft day when a player is, you know, no longer there. I think we're going to see a lot of day two trades. I think there are going to be some roster players on the move, a lot of cap strap teams. So that will make things a little more interesting as well. That always does. Um, but, you know, I think that there are absolutely teams that are going to want to move up. We actually, um, you know, I think we have had some, uh I had a question uh, about that, but I don't think I made it made it on my list. About you know the Blackhawks potentially moving up. There's been talk about them trading up from the nineteen, uh, the nineteenth overall pick. Um, so there's a lot of different things there that could potentially come into play. But you know I, I would say. I don't want to give you a firm number, but I think that there could be quite a bit of movement. I think there are certainly some teams that want to get into the first round that aren't there this year. You know, Ottawa just lost their first round pick. I don't see them doing a ton, but, you know, they, do they want to move back into that range? Lots of different options there. It's always tough to predict the trades because, you know, who who would have thought the Chicago Blackhawks were going to come away with three first round picks last year after entering the draft zero? Uh, pretty, pretty incredible day of trading. So uh, I think we'll see quite a bit of movement in that way. Next question comes from Jake, and Jake asks, how many NTDP guys get picked? So this year's NTDP team had the great top line. They've got four, possibly five players that will be selected in the first round when you include Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, Gabe Perot, Oliver Moore, and potentially Danny Nelson. You know, Trey Augustine is likely going to be one of the top goaltenders selected. I think at least three of their defensemen will be drafted, but maybe, or four, I'd say four defensemen will be drafted this year. So I think that the number is actually going to end up being around, you know, 13, 14, possibly 15 players drafted. I don't think everybody from that team will get drafted this year. They've all been ranked by Central Scouting. I just don't see that all of them will get drafted. I think this was a bit of a, you know, a great year for the top of the NTDP lineup and kind of a down year for the bottom of the lineup. And so that's going to make it very interesting to see where everybody ends up. So there could be a pretty significant gap between current NTDP players and and then the the top guys, and then the next tier going, you know, guys that may not go until the second, late second, early third round, or maybe even further than that, um, which is kind of rare for that program. All right. Our last question comes from Mike and the Mike asks, the Bruins don't pick until the 3rd round. Ouch. Who are some of the pl- prospects worth monitoring for them to pick at number 92? Man, it's tough to to go that far into the draft, you know, when 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 we're getting down to the bottom and in the in the you know, the top the top 100 players. You know, I think the Bruins have always been especially in the mid rounds looking towards the American players, looking towards players that are on the college path because they have a longer development term. So in general, I would look towards players like that, players that have a chance to go, um, you know, in the draft. Guys like, you know, I think like a guy like Ryan Fine, who is one of those NTDP players that played. He's got a big guy, but he's got some quickness. He had a really good under-18 World Championship. You know, I think he could be a, a player that's available that late and in that range. Um, you know, other other guys from the NTDP too. You know, you've got some Zach Schultz and, and, and Paul Fisher. Um, you know, uh, would would Brady Cleveland potentially be there? A big defenseman, a lot of USHL guys in the mix. You know, guys that I think you know, second year eligible guys like Zach Wisdom or or maybe a, a Brett Link from Fargo, or perhaps a Cole Knubel from Fargo as well as reentry kind of players. Um, it'll be interesting to see where some of the USHL guys go. It'll be interesting to see where some of the goaltenders are going as well. Will there be a good goalie available in the nineties? I think there could be, um, but yeah, but I mean, I, I think if I'm the Bruins, I'm probably looking at some of those guys with a longer development timeline that maybe have some size to them that, that maybe have, uh, you know, just that, that upside and they, you know, they cover the U S very well there. So I think they'll be pretty aggressive on that front. So Keep an eye out on him. Should be a very fascinating uh, situation. The Bruins, obviously, end of an era potentially here With if, if Patrice Bergeron moves on, if David Krejci moves on. A lot of change coming to Boston after such a spectacular season and such a disappointing finish in the first round. So we'll have to see where everything goes there. Great question, Mike. A lot of players to, to potentially watch there. And that's pretty much our show. All of the questions answered. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed Today's episode: a lot of draft lottery talk. Get excited about Connor Bedard coming to the NHL. Um, maybe not so excited if you're outside of Chicago, but we're all certainly excited to see one of the best young prospects move in to the NHL. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My thanks to Nico Reina for host or for producing today's show. I'm hosting it. Thanks to him for <laughs> producing. Thanks to you for your questions, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with tons more NHL draft talk. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.